Thanks for joining us on tonight's Saturday Night Special, episode 138. Hello, this is author Nathaniel Garrett Novosel, and I'm here with my friend Scott Mater and his Inspired Stewardship podcast. We both have a goal of helping people find more meaning and fulfillment in their lives. And if you're interested in developing yourself, others, and using your time more effectively to live out your calling, then please check out his podcast, Inspired Stewardship Podcast. So emotions equal your desire plus your belief plus your experiences. So to give an example, jealousy is a fun one uh, for me to, to explain because you basically want a person or thing, that's your desire. You believe that you deserve it or him or her. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In tonight's Saturday Night Special, I interview Nathaniel Novus. I asked Nathaniel to share with you how he wrote his book, The Meaning of Life. I also asked him to share how happiness is not the meaning of life, and Nathaniel also shares with you why purpose is. You know, one area that a lot of folks need some help with is around the area of productivity. Getting not just more things done, but actually getting the right things done can be really tough. I've got a course called Productivity for Your Passion that's designed to help you do this and then to help hold you accountable, and walk with you so that you can tailor productivity, not just to be getting more done, but actually getting the right things done. What's more, we take the approach of looking at your personality and how you actually look at things in the world and tailor the productivity system to your personality. Because the truth is, a lot of the systems that are out there are written really well for somebody with a particular personality type. But if you have a different approach to things, they just don't work. But there's tools and techniques and approaches that you can take that will work for anyone. And we help you do that in productivity for your passion. Check it out over at inspiredstewardship.com slash long. Nathaniel has been analyzing the drivers of human sense of meaning for over 30 years. And his book, Dissecting the Eight Core Factors, has won over 11 Book of the Year awards and accolades. Additionally, Nathaniel has been advising the world's leading executives for over 17 years and was recognized as Advisor of the Year in 2019. Nathaniel's mission is to help any and all people who are looking for more meaning in their lives to have unbiased support in figuring it out for themselves. Welcome to the show, Nathaniel. Thank you so much for having me. So, Nathaniel, you've written this book, writing uh, it called The Meaning of Life. How has your personal journey and history led you to this point of writing a book with you know, that as the subject? Sure. So it all started uh, when I was five. My father disappeared in the middle of the night and we didn't hear from him for six months. Now, I don't remember how I felt back then because it was five and that's when your memories are forming, but I went out to see him. He moved to California uh, for three weeks and two days. And when I came back, I was six at, by that point. I 
came back to Pittsburgh. And that first night, I felt like someone ripped my heart out of my chest. And I just felt miserable and hopeless. And I just was wondering, what is the point of all this if we're just going to suffer like this? <laughs> and it was at that point that there's a, I jokingly call it the robotic part of my brain, this dispassionate uh, commentary <laughs> going, that's a fascinating question. I wonder if you can answer that. And so that was where my journey began as I, I thought that, that was an interesting question. I wondered if it could be answered. And so I started studying everything I could get my hands on, psychology, philosophy, religions, studied behavioral economics eventually, and into all these other related fields, even like evolutionary psychology and biology, trying to understand how life worked. And about 20 some years later, I was leaving a company. I advised executives for a living. And I asked myself, what information would I impart from all that knowledge I'd gained? And I was like, well, what are the keys to success? And, and I started, these ideas started popping in my head. And I was like, wait a second. And I called back to that question 20 odd years ago where I said, actually, these are not the just the key drivers of success. They're the key drivers of finding your life to be meaningful. And so that was that like mind blown moment where I was like, this is it. This is the this is a scientifically sound explanation of how you can find more meaning in your life. And I started writing it down and through iterations, I identified that there are eight uh, core components that you had to understand and master if you wanted to uh, live your most meaningful. So obvious question, you don't need to go into deep dives on them, but what are those eight areas that you discovered? Sure. I'll give you a kind of a short version where I say them and explain what they are. Mm -hmm. So the eight are the meaning of life is growth. You grow through experience. Experience is the medium through which growth occurs. You are guided toward your experiences and growth areas that you desire. Your desire is the driving force. Your belief is the sustaining force uh, toward your goals through adversity. Your emotions are your feedback mechanism telling you whether you're growing or being harmed. Uh, your ethics are the way that you identify the optimal way to grow with other living organisms, <laughs> other humans in this case. Uh, your support are the support you give or the support you receive to increase your growth theoretically exponentially from what you would be able to do alone. You're not building the pyramids or a self-driving car by yourself anytime soon. And then finally, choice. Everything you do is a choice and your destiny is a sum of the way that you direct your thoughts, your actions, those sorts of things toward the growth areas that you choose to focus on or not. And you mentioned emotion in there as being part of the feedback mechanism. And I think for most people, when they hear things like the meaning of life, they begin to look towards things like happiness, that I feel good joy, whatever names we want to give that and different emotions. How do you think those fit in, in terms of feedback mechanisms and what mistakes do we make when we look at emotions as the meaning of life? Yeah, uh, I have a, a way uh, to prove that happiness is in fact not the meaning of life <laughs> through a little thought exercise if you entertain me here. Sure. So what is the purpose of going to school? Do you so uh, hopefully it's to learn and gain knowledge, but oftentimes it's because people force you to go to school. Yep, you are correct. It's to learn, but here's <laughs> well, the here's what I hope <laughs> as a school teacher for 16 years, not everyone's there for that reason. <laughs> but he, here's the interesting question that's going to make sense with regard to happiness why didn't you say 
the purpose of school is to get an A. The reason I didn't say that is because, again, as a school teacher, I feel like the grades are often an arbitrary system set up to measure what is somewhat subjective. Because it's a measurement of whether you learned, it's not the goal. It's a metric or measurement or feedback mechanism. That's what emotions are. So when people say the meaning of life is be happy, that is actually false. If they say the meaning of life is to find what makes you happy, that's actually true. Because what makes you happy is the growth enabling experiences that you have. And so happiness is the A in this analogy. You're not here to get an A. In fact, uh, they've already hacked the brain now. You can actually go to a, a psychologist and actually have the part of your brain that experiences euphoria tapped into, and you can experience euphoria for the rest of your existence until you die of starvation or thirst. And obviously, that's not the point. If you've can... <laughs> done that with, they've done that with rats and the little pill that hits the electrode yeah. and they starve to death. Yeah, and they did it with a human being too when they were trying. I'm not saying it was ethical, but they were trying to uh, reassign someone's sexual orientation and they were having them look at pictures of the opposite gender and, and tapping in their, their brain and got them to feel euphoria. You could, but that's not the point. <laughs> Otherwise people would be doing drugs and you know having sex all the time and and then it would just be one big crazy sound uh, pleasure palace. But it's not like that at all. Uh, uh, happiness, the true fulfillment you get from growth enabling activities is the feedback and mechanism telling you that you're thriving. So yes, happiness is an outcome or feedback, but it is not the the point, just like the point of going to school is not to get an A. It's and I happiness is also a very temporary state because People often feel, oh, I'm happy because I got a new car, but that doesn't last more than about a week. And then it's just a car again. It doesn't, it doesn't stick. Yeah. And that's the proof that growth is the point and not the happiness, because once you've attained that new thing, it'll subside because if it didn't subside, then you would just feel happy with everything, uh, with whatever you just got. And you would never not be happy again. You would never do anything else. You're like, well, I'm happy. Why do I need to do anything else? It's the boredom. It's the feeling, starting to feel unfulfilled again. It's that, that, that itch to do something more that gets you to do something more to achieve the happiness again. So a lot of people think of happiness as the hedonic treadmill, but honestly, it's just a feedback mechanism to show that you're continually growing. So as long as you continue on the growth path, you'll be happy most of the time. But when you're not happy, that's a good, that's a good thing. That's an indicator to you. Hey, I need to do something else because that's, that's what emotions are. Mm -hmm. And when we, when you think about, and let's kind of abstract that to a little bit of a different question. One of the questions that a lot of folks have too is around their purpose, their meaning, their calling, whatever name you want to give it. And and you, I think in the book, you refer to this generation as the purpose generation. So why do you feel like purpose is so important today? And why do people struggle and have that kind of crisis of finding their, their purpose? Sure. There are two sides to this. The first side is the whole the like good times bring complacency kind of thing. When, when you live in a generation where your parents are telling you, I, Oh no, I'm providing everything for you. You don't have to do anything. And then you live in this world where anything you want is just immediately provided for you. You don't have to work for anything really. It creates this weird system where you believe that work is, is bad and you shouldn't have to do it. And yet then you feel unfulfilled and you wonder why. It's because you start to think that life is about 
pleasures and toys and things like that and games and things. And it's, you know, not about actually bettering yourself and things like that. So this crisis of meaning occurs a lot in this kind of environment because people weren't taught the tools necessary to grow. Whereas in all, in, in previous generations where you had to like work on a farm or something, you learn pretty quickly that the work led to growth, led to your well-being for the well-being of the people around you. So you understood the value of that. And so the crisis of meaning is happening often due to that. But in terms of the purpose generation is that it's a combination of that where people are feeling a lack of purpose, so they want it. So an entire generation of people who act like that, you create a generation of people looking for a purpose, for impact, for making the world a better place, because it, there has to be something more than just the material pleasures and things like that. But more importantly, if you think about Maslow's hierarchies of needs, for example, or the hierarchy of needs, excuse me. So you go from biology to safety and so forth, you go up to self-actualization. And when all of your biological and safety needs, and maybe you have friends and maybe you find a, a loved one. And so there you go, you just move right up the chain. It's so, I don't want to say easy, but it's a lot easier than it used to be to move up that chain. So now everyone's looking and saying, now I want to have a true uh, impact on the world. It's just driving everyone toward finding that meaning. And of course, what do they find meaning in? It's always making the world a better place. What does that mean? Better is the key word. Growing. It's in- enabling the growth of others, uh, making an impact beyond just yourself. And that's what makes us the, the purpose generation is because people are looking uh, to find that impact. So I- I've got a few questions that I like sure. to ask all of my guests. But before I move to that, let me ask you, is there anything else from the book or, or from this that you'd like to point to people or maybe that we, we missed in the questions that you'd like to share with the listeners? Sure. I, mean, I love to tell the story of, of how to figure out how or why you're feeling what you're feeling at any given time, because it's such a magical formula. It, it's, it's as scientific as two plus two equals four. All, all emotions are a combination of three things, and there are eight factors. Three of them go into the, to the fourth one here. So emotions equal your uh, desire plus your belief plus your experiences. So to give an example, jealousy is a fun one uh, for me to explain because you basically want a person or thing, that's your desire. You believe that you deserve it or him or her. And more importantly, you believe that other people don't deserve it <laughs> as much as you do. Mm-hmm. And then the third the experience is you see that person with that thing or person that you want, and then you feel jealous. Now, here's the magic of it. And it is a formula that can be used in any scenario. If you change one of those aspects of the formula, that jealousy goes away. If you don't really want the thing or person, your jealousy goes away. Because why would you be jealous of someone who has something you don't care about? You won't. If you uh, don't believe that that person doesn't deserve it, let's say you believe that that person overwhelmingly deserves it, then you don't feel jealous. You feel admiration because you're like, oh, I want to be like that person because they have this wonderful thing I want to have too. And then third, the experience. The first thing you do, we feel jealousy. What do you do? You run away it's to get away from it, to, to, stop, to get- Stop hanging out with those people, right? To yeah. stop being exposed to the thing that makes you jealous. Right. So those are the three elements to uh, your emotional state. Now, of course, it gets more complex than that. Maybe you have conflicting desires and multiple conflicting beliefs, and that's all fine, good. And you can explore that on your own. But knowing that formula will change your life if you have a a hard time being in touch with your emotions. Mm -hmm. And the, I I think it's key too, that you're breaking that up and recognizing that those are three different parts of our experiences. Because I think a lot of times people conflate desire belief, 
and experience as one thing when they really are different. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it, it bothers me. There were a lot of th- reasons why I wrote the book. <laughs> and there are a few things that bothered me about self-help books and religious books and things that, that I, I wasn't happy with. The biggest issue I had with a lot of philosophy or religious texts were that they conflated like the origin of life, the goal of life, ethics, and how life works into a one system that you had to follow all or nothing. And it seemed those are different things and you should break them apart. But the one you're describing drives me nuts is most self-help books uh, focus on one of those three things, beliefs. Because everyone wants to hear someone telling them that you can do anything. They want those positive beliefs subjecting them. They want to let go of those negative beliefs and don't know how. So most self-help books, they focus, rightfully so, on those areas. Because it's not you're not going to sell a million copies of a book that says, want less or want something else. Or, hey, kid, maybe that's not the right thing for you. No one is going to buy that book. So I totally get it. But I use my book as a way to explain all three so that you can understand that you can actually change uh, all three to change your emotional state. And it's more than just the beliefs. Although you are correct in saying that like, everything is perception, everything is how you perceive the world. So you can boil it down to that one, but it's better to unpack it to really understand mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, I think they are three different things, not that they're independent of each other, your formula links, <laughs> but not being independent doesn't make things one thing. Yeah. If it makes sense. Exactly. Um, two, I, I am not independent of my biological systems, but I am also not just my biological systems. There's more than that to us. At least we hope. Well, yeah, I talk about that in the choice chapter that there's this fight about determinism versus free will, and, and that there are these like fatalists who say everything is just the result of what happened before it. And that's just nonsense. Sorry. I, I like that idea that. Yes, it is true that I could not be talking to you right now if my mother didn't give birth to me. But that doesn't mean that my mother giving birth to me caused me to behave in the way that I'm behaving right now. Yes, my genes are a manifestation or manifesting in the in my body and my behaviors right now. But as we all know, certain uh, ways that you think, certain experiences, certain behaviors, certain thoughts, they can unlock different parts of your genes. And you choose what you focus on. You choose what you do. You choose your beliefs. You choose even you, you can even choose to be happy. You can choose happiness rather than focusing on miserable things. And all of those things uh, will shape you much more after your uh, genes already manifested than anything. And somebody with a background actually in genetics, I actually have a degree in genetics. One of the things that everyone always asks, is it nature or nurture? Geneticists stopped act- asking that question back in the 30s. <laughs> it's like, yeah. they, they, the answer is yes. Is it nature yeah. or nurture? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. It is. It's both. It's not one or the other. The question that we, that a genetics person asks is not which is it, but rather to what degree are different things exactly. determined by these different things? That's really the question. But of course, we have to make everything simple. So that's kind of what we try to do. Well, and I did the same thing in my book. I said, look, there are things you can control. There are things you cannot control. And if right. you want to find meaning in your life, it, forget about the things you can't control and focus on the things you can and do the best you can to control them. And that, uh, well, that sounds bad, but like to, to make them better. It's my mm-hmm. point. Um, and so I'm with you on that. Yeah. So my brand is about stewardship. And one of the questions that I like to ask all of my guests is, what that word means to them, because I've discovered over the years that different people hear that word and think different things. And of course, I'm curious what people are thinking when they hear that word. So what does the word stewardship mean to you? 
Yeah, it's funny because I, I advise heads of uh, data analytics and there's something called data stewardship. And I, I always uh, thought about stewardship uh, as uh, guiding people toward better outcomes is what I was mm-hmm. always thinking about it. So I actually went up and looked the definition. So that's not what that means at all. <laughs> okay, go me. Uh, but, but no, yeah, I, I understand that the way that you're thinking about it, which is identifying the values, the behaviors, the beliefs, the different uh, elements that you can focus on to make your life uh, better, to, to care and, to, and nurture the, the things in, within yourself that can make yourself and the people you care about better off. And I'm, I completely agree with that. But I guess the reason why I came with my perception of it is the fact that when you think about stewardship, when you think about it, you usually think about it in terms of the old term they used to use for for flight attendants and things like that. And usually think about them caring for others. So I have this idea of trying to nurture other things or yourself in this case, expanded on that definition to to foster growth, to, to foster uh, better outcomes in, in people and, and things. Yeah. So my favorite question that I like to ask every guest is this one. Let's say I could invent a machine today where I could grab you from where you are and travel take you into the far future, maybe 100 to 150 years, and magically you were able to look back on your life and see all of the impacts and the ripples that you've left behind. What impact do you hope you've left on the world? I hope that the Meaning of Life book becomes one of those like tomes that are talked about in terms of, oh, wow, this person really figured out how life works in a way that can help anyone make their lives more meaningful. and. Oh, what a great guy he was that he did it in a way where he didn't try to impart his own personal beliefs or ethics on other people or didn't tell people what their goals should be. And so this is a the book to read first before you read other philosophies and other things, because you can actually see all these philosophies or religions and so forth through the lens to understand what their interpretations are. And then you can pick the one that best uh, fits or create your own. But that I helped people understand themselves and the world around them to live better lives, more meaningful lives. And then, uh, but I didn't uh, try to like invent my own religion or anything like that. That's, that's what I would like to see in in my future. So what's coming next for you as you continue on your journey to living out your call and impacting the world? Sure. We recently released a book called The X Factor, The Spiritual Secrets Behind Successful Executives and Entrepreneurs. And that's a multi-author book. I'm one of the authors. And everyone talks a little bit about what made them into the great leaders that they are today. Like I said, I'm a senior director for executives. And I talk about, my, my chapter is called Do What You Love What You Do. And it talks about my journey and understanding how to enjoy what you're doing more so that you learn to love it so that you can you know because i can't do something i don't care about so i have to care learn to care about it if i'm going to have to do it and then also learning what you love to do so you can move toward a role or position or job or career or calling as you were putting it that's uh, that's right for you and it's a great story about how i i try to figure it out because i was i'm an indecisive person and went through that 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 book came out recently the meaning of life came out last year you can go ahead and pick that up. Uh, and then I'm also, uh, Your Meaning in Life is my website. I have a blog there. It's like second or third to Mark Manson or whatever. And then my uh, social media are at Life the Book. So you can find out more about Nathaniel Garrett Novacell over on Facebook as 
at Life the Book or find out more about him and the book over at his website, yourmeaninglife.com. Nathaniel, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener? I just hope that you all out there are uh, doing the best you can to live uh, meaningful, fulfilling lives. And just remember uh, that your definition of success is your own. And if you're ever feeling unfulfilled, it might be you're trying to live someone else's definition of success. Maybe you've moved on and you need to change uh, your life direction. And that's perfectly fine too. And that's all well and good. And also finally, don't overexert yourself. Uh, Don't take effort and growth as the same thing. Remember when you go and work out and lift weights, uh, you grow through rest and eating after working out, not through the exercise itself breaks down your muscles. So don't forget to rest. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures, develop your influence, and impact the world.